The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com It's time for Cookies and Crime. Hey everyone, it's Karen T and welcome back to another episode of Cookies and Crime. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving and I definitely hope you had a better one than the family in this case. But before I get into that, in the spirit of Black Friday and Cyber Week, I am having a sale on my Cookies and Crime merch. So everything is 20% off and I still have some free t-shirts to give out with any purchase. So go check it out at cookies-and-crime.com and the link is in the description. So this episode's cookie is a miso chocolate chip cookie. I saw it at this restaurant when I was ordering DoorDash and it sounded pretty good. This is one of the most beautiful cookies I have ever seen. It almost looks like fake food. It looks really chewy. I've never had miso in a dessert before, so I don't know exactly what the flavor profile is, but this cookie Definitely has some savoriness to it. Okay, I just heated it up because I feel like this would be better heated. I feel like this is weird to say, but I like this cookie better cold. When it's heated up, it's almost like a pancake. It gets really soft, which I'm not typically opposed to, but I feel like I can taste more of the flavor when it's cold. If I'm being honest, I would give this cookie a five out of 10. <laughs> it still has really good aspects about it, I mean, it still tastes like a chocolate chip cookie. I don't know about the miso in this cookie. It just doesn't give it any extra oomph. I was gonna look up the restaurant's name, but now that I gave it a five, I don't wanna <laughs> say what it is. But yeah, this cookie is a five out of 10, unfortunately. Moving on to this episode's case. This case is going to make you think that your family is rainbow and sunshines when it comes to gathering for a Thanksgiving dinner. This will make your uncle who always brings up politics at the table seem like one of the nicest people in the world. This case is pretty tragic and it is a roller coaster. It doesn't even end when the murders happen. So buckle up and let's get into it. This is the Thanksgiving murders. On November 26, 2009, Jim and Muriel Sitton hosted a Thanksgiving dinner for their family in Jupiter, Florida. They lived in an upscale gated community about 55 miles north of Miami. Many of the family members were on Muriel's side of the family, which consisted of Michael and Carol Marriage and their two adult twin daughters, 33-year-olds Lisa Knight and Carla Marriage. Lisa was pregnant and came with her husband, Patrick. There were about 17 family members attending this dinner. 
It sounds so nice to have a big family Thanksgiving dinner. Kudos to anybody who has had to cook for that many people for Thanksgiving. If dinner is being hosted at my place, I'm typically the one who's cooking it for everyone, but I have a tiny family, so at most it is ever eight people. And even then, I wake up at like 8 a.m. to start dinner prep. For me, the only way I was going to have enough energy to be in the kitchen that long was to take my magic mind. Guys, I've been drinking these for a while now in place of coffee in the morning, and it's wild how much energy I can get from this shot. I don't drink coffee often because I get major anxiety from it, which sucks because I love the taste of coffee, so I do get decaf now and then, but obviously it does nothing. I love Magic Mind because it's a tiny shot you take that gets you this energy boost quick and easy. And I'm notorious for never finishing my coffee because I'm a girly and that's what I do. It's also made of natural ingredients that are good for you like matcha, lion's mane, and ashwagandha, which helps you wake up, de-stress, and boosts your brain. Just look up these ingredients and you will see how good they are for you. If you want to give it a try, and I do truly recommend this, you can use my link magicmind.com forward slash cookies crime and use my code cookies crime to get 56% off your first subscription or 20% off a one-time purchase. So give it a try. The dinner was in full swing and all was good when Michael Marriage got a call. Michael announced to the family that Paul was on his way and needed directions. The family was surprised to hear that. 35-year-old Paul Marriage was Michael's son and older brother to the twin women. Michael was not a regular at family gatherings and Jim, the owner of the house, had only ever met him twice and had not seen him in over 10 years. He wasn't sure who invited him, but he was still family. He didn't think too much of it and let him over but there's pretty good reason for the shock from the news. Paul had a very rocky relationship with his whole family from as early as the age of 13. When Paul was a teenager, he pulled out a loaded gun and pointed it at his family. They weren't even sure where he got it, but he never fired it. In 2000, he saw a restraining order against his sister who he claimed tried to kill him. He eventually dropped the request. Six years later, Carla, one of his twin sisters, requested her own restraining order against Paul after he lunged at her and threatened to slit her throat. She would also cancel her request a few weeks later. They attended therapy as a family, and the twin sisters said they were all close before he became severely depressed when he was 19. And they couldn't regain their relationship after that. I swear, 13-year-old boys scare me the most. They're just at that prime age where they feel like they're on top of the world, like they're getting there and they need to dominate everybody. And that's when they do really, really stupid things. So when Michael announced that Paul was on his way, family members couldn't help but speculate what was going to happen when he arrived. Nonetheless, Paul showed up right in time for dessert. Three hours in and everything is surprisingly going smoothly. There's no arguments, no threats being made, the family even sang together around the piano as if it were a Hallmark movie. Lisa and Carla, the twins, loved to sing. So did the sit-in six-year-old daughter, Michaela. She was practicing for her performance of the Nutcracker she would be in the next day. Then, around 10 p.m., Paul steps outside. Things are starting to wrap up and Lisa and Patrick are getting ready to leave. Patrick runs into Paul at the door and shakes his hand. Hey, we're leaving. It was great to see you again, Patrick says. 
Paul insisted that they stay a little longer. After all, how often do they get to see his estranged brother-in-law? As Patrick turns around to grab food from his sister-in-law, he hears gunshots. He feels a pain emanating from his stomach. He's been shot. Paul starts shooting at his family, some in very close range. At one point, he says, I've been waiting 20 years for this. Along with Patrick, he shoots his twin sisters and his 76-year-old aunt, Ramonde Joseph. Ramonde's husband tried holding her to stop the bleeding. Paul came over to her again and shot her again in the chest. He then pointed the gun at his uncle, but the gun wouldn't fire twice in a row. Paul then walked to six-year-old Michaela's room, who was put to bed. He walked in and shot her once. As he was walking out her room, he hesitated, walked back in, and shot her two more times to make sure she was dead. Michaela's dad doesn't think Paul planned on shooting her, but decided to after seeing how delighted and happy the family was seeing her perform and got jealous. He also shot his 52-year-old cousin, Clifford Jamara, but his wounds were non-life-threatening. Pregnant Lisa Knight, Carla Marriage, Ramonde Joseph, and Michaela were killed. Patrick Knight would be placed in a medically induced coma for three months. He would lose a kidney and had severe infections, but ultimately would survive. Ugh, saying those out loud just really hurts, you know, because it's a pregnant woman and a six-year-old girl. If someone is able to do that, you know something is really, really messed up in their head. Also, can we talk about the fact that the gun did not go off twice when he tried shooting his uncle, but then it started working again for the next victim? A part of me can't help but think that that is some type of divine intervention, like it wasn't his time or something. Which I hate to say because I'm not saying that it was the other victim's time to go, but that's just a huge coincidence that that happened. I'm sure his uncle had some survivor's guilt after that because how do you not think about that? That someone pointed a gun at you, tried to shoot you twice and it wouldn't go off, but it went off for the people before you and the person after you. I mean, if that happened to me, I would be questioning that for the rest of my life. Like, why did it not go off on me? After the massacre, Paul drove off in his car. One of the surviving members ran to a neighbor's house and banged on the door for help. They called 911 and a manhunt immediately began. The Jupiter police had never dealt with a quadruple homicide before, so they enlisted the help of the US Marshals. Paul was on the run for a very long time, and as they were trying to find him, they were trying to figure this guy out, what kind of person he was, where he could be hiding, and what he would be doing next. Paul has an eclectic past. So we've talked about his troubled past with his family, but there was a point in his life where it was the complete opposite. In high school, Paul was a very bright, you could almost say loving boy. In his senior yearbook, he had written a message to his family saying, to all 32 members, I love you now and forever. He also wrote, I've been so lucky to be blessed with having twin sisters and being your protective older brother. This is coming from the same person who shot and killed his twin sisters. When some of his old classmates were interviewed, they said they didn't recognize the person in the news. They knew a completely different Paul. He had graduated third in his class from Gulliver Prep, 
a pricey private school. He played football, baseball, and soccer. He led the French Honor Society. He was driven, mature, athletic, and handsome. He was very well liked and very well received. His old football coach thought he'd be running a company or business at that point. He also wrote very sweet and thoughtful messages in friends' yearbooks. So they are really having trouble seeing that high school Paul and family massacre Paul are the same people. From my own experience, I do not know of a popular kid in high school who has made it really big and successfully in the real world. And success is subjective, right? They could be having a low-key life and feeling super successful themselves. But in terms of like them becoming this big shot person, I feel like that really happens. But at the same time, the people who are really smart in high school, they remain smart and they go on to do very smart people jobs. But we also kind of know why Paul was not the same person he was in high school. As I stated before, Paul had a mental breakdown as an honor student at the University of Miami. He had plans to become a doctor. He had battled severe depression and OCD. And apparently, according to his mom, he never got over that breakdown. His troubles continued. As for his OCD, he was repeatedly bathing and shaving because he was scared of germs. He began suffering from obesity, insomnia, and a receding hairline. It was a fall from grace all in such a short, significant period of time. He struggled to make decisions and wasn't able to hold a job so he lived with his parents. He would skip his medication and attempted suicide two different times. One time, he tried shooting himself, but it went right through his body. And another time, he tried taking all of his medications at once. Some psychologists believe these feelings of resentment could have come from the jealousy of his sister's success. And as someone who was at the top of the world, he was losing every aspect of it. Also, with Paul's OCD, it could potentially make some of his thoughts obsessive. With the mix of resentment towards his sisters, the thought of wanting to harm them could be repeating in his mind past the point of no return. Some of us might have these thoughts when we're really angry and they pass, but for him, they made a home in his head. This part is really wild to me. So as investigators were creating a profile for marriage, they also made a shocking discovery. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, price line. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. 
the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Paul was not the first person in his family to commit a family massacre. Back in July of 1973, Paul's aunt, Sawa Marriage Abrams, murdered her ex-husband and two children before overdosing and killing herself. Marriage Abrams had an opera career, but left to care for her family. After 19 years, her husband, who was a pilot, left her for a flight attendant, and the two divorced. Shortly after their divorce hearings, she invited him over to talk. She then shot all of them one by one. So, is there a correlation? Maybe not, I feel like these were very situational things, but maybe anger runs in their family and no impulse control? But it's not every day you have two family annihilators in the same tree. The other interesting thing about this case is that according to forensic psychologist Dr. Michael Brannon, typically in a family murder case, someone is harmed or killed when things become very emotional and it's often spontaneous. But here, everything was bright and dandy up to the point of the shooting. The murders were also clearly premeditated. He seems to have picked out his victims ahead of time too. His parents were there and he didn't go after them. Some believe it was so that they had to live with the fact that two of their children were dead and one was in jail. The family murderer also typically kills themselves afterwards, but weeks before the shooting, he had purchased guns and a cover for his car. He also withdrew at least $10,000 in cash. He was planning to escape. So with all of this information that they've gathered, considering his past of being an intelligent, well-liked person, mental illnesses and breakdowns, and how he murdered his family, experts believe he has some type of psychopathic personality. I mean, are we really surprised? He was very well-liked in high school, and psychopaths are known to be charming. It reminds me of this one doctor, and I don't remember his name, but he was doing a study on psychopaths and he scanned his own brain and found out he was a psychopath himself. He never murdered anybody, but looking back at his own life, it made sense because he was super popular in high school and well-liked by everybody. But there were also some aspects of his personality that definitely made him seem like a psychopath. And I think it is so funny because as far as I know, I am not a diagnosed psychopath, yet I have the hardest time coming off as charming or being liked by people because I have a lot of social anxiety. And so I just look like a deer in headlights when I'm out and people are probably like, what is wrong with her? And hopefully you guys can relate so I don't feel like such a loser. But anyway, from the fact that Paul said, I've been waiting 20 years for this, and that he was trying to escape and not get caught. He understands that what he's doing is wrong, but he doesn't care, which I think is the difference between a sociopath and a psychopath. He's even getting satisfaction and pleasure from the act of murdering his family members. So these are just speculations from psychologists. I don't know if he is actually a diagnosed psychopath, but there's no doubt that something is happening mentally here. 
And this is why I appreciate psychology and forensic psychology and why I'm interested in true crime is because this information gets glossed over by a lot of people. Because when we hear about a murderer or a serial killer, we just think, oh, that person is just pure evil and lives to harm people, which can absolutely be true. But we have to recognize that there's a deeper rhyme or reason to why people do anything. It does not excuse what they did, but it's important to recognize what an unhealthy brain can do. So Paul is on the loose driving his 2007 Toyota Camry. He fled and hid out in the Keys while a nationwide manhunt was looking for him. He would be on the run for more than 30 days. While still at large, he appeared on America's Most Wanted, and it was after that they received a tip that would zero in on him. Paul was hiding out at the Edgewater Lodge in Long Keys. He had shaved his head, grew out his beard, and was switching his license plate. He was arrested on January 2nd after the motel owner saw his face and recognized it from TV. Inside his hotel room, they found certain items indicating that he had considered killing himself. He had an assisted suicide handbook. He also had helium, plastic bags, scissors, duct tape, and tubing. Paul was officially charged with four counts of first-degree murder and two counts of attempted first-degree murder. They considered giving him a death sentence, but he was able to avoid it by agreeing to plead guilty and getting seven consecutive years of life imprisonment. And this got a lot of people upset because if slaying a whole family and an innocent six-year-old doesn't get you the death sentence, what does? So Paul is now in prison, but the story doesn't end there. There's a huge rift in the family after the murders and Muriel and Jim Sitton want more justice than they received. So the Sitton parents, who again lost their six-year-old daughter, sues Paul's parents for negligence. To the Sittons, Paul's arrival to the Thanksgiving dinner was a surprise that they found out when he was already on his way. But Carol and Michael Marriage knew he was coming days in advance. Carol had been emailing a relative about their Thanksgiving plan, stating that everyone was going up to the Thanksgiving dinner, including Paul. She also wrote, it will be interesting to say the least. I know this type of family member and it is so aggravating. It's the family member who just won't take accountability for anything and they're like, whatever, it's everyone's problem now. They never think anything is a big deal when you're supposed to be considering other people who are involved and it's just like, ugh. And it's not only that Paul's parents knew he was coming, the Sittens believed that they knew his presence could be dangerous. In the morning of that Thanksgiving day, Carol was speaking to her late daughter, Lisa, saying, I hope he doesn't come and kill us all tonight. Lisa replied with, Mom, it came to my mind, but don't say that to Dad because Dad would get upset that we had such ideas. So a while back, I read Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. If you have not read that book, it is such a good book about humans and people and how they operate. And in the book, he talks about whistleblowers. And we typically know whistleblowers as people at companies who expose the shady things that are happening. But really, you can whistleblow anything, just like in this case. When there's a situation that may represent a danger, but it's not an in-your-face danger, people typically don't like whistleblowers. 
There might be one person who sees what's going on and they might say something. And it's not that other people don't want to believe it. It's that they don't want to have to disrupt the flow of how things are going for something that might not happen. Which is why whistleblowers get such a bad rep. I think the example in the book was either like a coach sexually assaulting young boys or an executive stealing money from a company, which are very different situations, but they both can apply with whistleblowers. If we were to investigate a situation every time someone blows the whistle, we would not move forward in the way we do because some whistleblowers can be overly cautious when something's not really there. And I'm saying all this as to explain why whistleblowers get the reputation they do and why people end up not saying anything. And this is why a lot of these things end up happening because people think the likelihood of this being the moment that someone actually kills everyone is low. But it does happen in some cases, just like this one. And I think this is something you hear a lot when it comes to school shootings. You always read that when it comes to a teenage school shooter, other kids have said, oh, he's going to shoot up the school one day. Or the shooter had brought a gun to school in their backpacks and it was dealt with as an isolated incident. And even with this evidence, the shooter is still allowed to attend school until the day he ends up really shooting it. These students and teachers have blown the whistle in a way and those in a position of authority ignored it. And it could be for multiple reasons, maybe because they had a lot of threats like this and it ended up being nothing or they just don't think it could ever happen to them. And again, I'm not excusing the actions of these people. I feel like I have to say that each time I describe why people are people. Because in some of these cases, especially when it comes to school shootings, I feel like there could be way more we can do to stop that ahead of time. Like by getting that child counseling, the minute they hear that this kid is a little off. You know, maybe some brain scans, the minute a threat is made. But again, this happens a lot. And if it happens all the time, where people had information that could have potentially stopped something from happening, but it happens anyway, we have to analyze us as people in a society and why these failures happen. There is a major pattern in humans when it comes to situations like this. Hindsight is 2020. It's so easy to say that they should have done something, but according to our actions as a collective, apparently it's not as easily done than said. But let's get back on track because I went on a whole tangent here. So the Sittens have sued the marriages for negligence. Patrick Knight had also sued his former in-laws for failing to prevent the killings. But in 2012, the lawsuits were dismissed and the court sided with the marriages stating that they had no legal right or ability to control the actions of their adult child. To make things even messier, the marriages countersued the sit-ins, saying the sit-ins were to blame for the murders. The marriages claimed that once the sit-ins knew Paul was coming, they should have stopped it. If they were really concerned for their family's safety, it's their home and they could have stopped him from coming. It got really messy. There's a lot of high emotions happening here and I understand why the Sittens would want to sue Paul's parents. They were so nonchalant about their dangerous son coming over. And really, the marriage's counter-suing is so classless. Regardless of their responsibility for their son, these people lost a daughter and someone lost their pregnant wife. They should have had some compassion for their family members. They were just being really petty. 
The marriages felt like the Sittens lawsuit had defamated their name, but still, it feels kind of petty. You know, it, a lot had happened. I feel like they should have just let it go. So there's no doubt that this era was the darkest time for this family, but time fortunately did heal some of the families. Jim and Muriel Sitton wanted to be parents again, and in 2012, they had a baby girl named Natalia Grace. One day, Jim heard Muriel singing to Natalia and felt a sense of hope that they were going to make it and it was going to be okay. Two years later, they have another girl, Rayla. Although the murders occurred in their home, they never moved. Jim said one awful night does not erase years of happiness they spent with Michaela in their home. As for Patrick Knight, who lost his pregnant wife and after fighting for his life, sorry, I did not mean to rhyme there, but he had to relearn to walk, talk, and write. But he got back up on his feet and returned to work. That's when a coworker of his introduced him to Jennifer Harris. They ended up falling in love, got married, and now have a son together. He also works as a motivational speaker and warns listeners about the signs his former family members ignored. He says, there always seems to be someone who kind of knew that knew that this person was about to do something bad or could do something bad, which we talked about a little before. He wrote a book called Blessed to Survive and he reclaimed Thanksgiving as a day to be grateful. He says, instead of this being something that owns me, I am going to take ownership and make this my holiday. I just love that they were able to find their own happy endings after such a tragedy. If we look at the grand scheme of everything, it is nice that in the world we live in, I love that we still have the ability to make something of our lives after an experience tries to crush us. So these people are so strong and resilient for being able to go on with their lives and understand that this is now the past. And that is the case of the Thanksgiving murders. So in this particular case, I talked a lot about mental health, psychology, and why people do the things they do. I don't know about you, but this is what makes true crime interesting to me, is talking about how people are capable of doing the things that they do. Because I don't want to be one of those people who are like, how could something like this happen? How could this person do such a thing? It's like, we can know why if we search a little deeper, if we go past the point of just emotions and talk about humanity and why people are this way. And with that knowledge, we can better understand what makes people tick, why people are the way they are, and how we could potentially prevent that in the future. And one of my fears is that when I'm talking about the psychology of why someone did the things they did, that it makes it sound like I'm excusing their actions. And I don't want to be doing that at all because they are still 100% accountable for what they did. And if you feel the same way, hi, thank you for listening and making me feel less alone. And with that, let's get into some cookies and crime trivia. So I had a miso chocolate chip cookie, which um, was mid. And I know miso is really popular right now, but let's just agree it doesn't have to go into everything. You know, there's nothing wrong with a solid, good chocolate chip cookie. I admire that they tried. <laughs> um, but yeah. So miso is a very popular ingredient flavor but it's obviously not an American creation. So where did miso originate? 
Is it A, Korea, B, Japan, C, Mongolia, or D, China? I'll give you five seconds. And the answer, which is a trick question, is D, China. I'm sure some of you thought it was Japan because miso is very popular in Japan, but it is thought that miso originated as a fermented food in ancient China. It is most likely that it was introduced to Japan via mainland China and the Korean peninsula in the Asuka period during the 7th century. Miso was not used as a food seasoning as it is today. It was spread on food or directly licked and eaten. I've never had miso alone, but I have a feeling that it is probably potent. It's probably like Australians eating Vegemite, which to the rest of the world, we're very unfamiliar with that. And it seems like a very strong, intense flavor. It was also used to pay the salaries of the elite and as a gift. So it was a luxury item only eaten by the wealthy. Well, thankfully, the rich decided to share it because I live for a good miso soup. Ugh, I could use one right now. So the more you know. So for our crime trivia, Paul Marich received seven consecutive life sentences. But what does that really mean? Because I didn't really understand it, even though I have read it and seen it time and time again. So we're finally going to talk about it. So true or false, you can be released from prison with a sentence of life imprisonment. I will give you five seconds. The answer is true. You can be released from prison with a life sentence, which seems absolutely contradictory, but you can be granted parole or even released from prison from a life imprisonment sentence. This can happen for multiple reasons, such as good behavior, your efforts in rehabilitating, and the perceived risk to society. Which is really strange to me because if you aren't deemed as a risk to society anymore, how were you given a life imprisonment sentence in the first place? But I'm no judge. <laughs> I don't know how it works. So what's the likelihood of you getting released? I mean, it's not zero which is why more life sentences are given depending on the severity of a crime. Because even if you finish up one life sentence, you still have to finish out the other ones that you have. So let's say you were given two consecutive life sentences. So you have to fulfill all of those life sentences as long as you are living. But let's say your first life sentence, they decide to release you. Now that that one is up, you have to serve the next life sentence which means you're still in prison. So the fact that Paul was given seven consecutive life sentences, it ensures that he will never get out of prison. It makes sense to me, but it doesn't make sense to me at the same time. Apparently, people have been released from their life sentences, but is seven consecutive life sentences as bad as five? You know, like it doesn't seem like it gets any harsher past three. But again, I don't know for sure. I am not a professional, but apparently that is how it works. So that is it for this Cookies and Crime. Again, merch is on sale for Black Friday and Cyber Week. So it's on sale until December 1st. Everything is 20% off, so go check it out. Oh, also, if you missed my episode of Food Network's Christmas Cookie Challenge, 
you can watch it or stream it on Discovery Plus or on Max. Of course, the results have come out, but I just won't say it on this one just in case you haven't watched it and you want to be surprised. So you can check that out as well. Cookies and Crime episodes come out every other week and I will talk to you guys next time. Stay safe out there.